Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. One of the important themes running throughout Ursula K. Le Guin's novel, A Wizard of Earthsea, is the pride and the humbling of the main character, Sparrowhawk or Ged. Ged is his true name. And I think this is something that many of us can relate to as we're reading through this, particularly if we've come from a background that has similar features, not about magic, but about other talents and about similar social dynamics when it comes to what we're prideful about and why we're prideful and how that affects our perspectives. And then what happens to change that perspective to show us that that pride was misplaced and perhaps dangerous. In this case, it actually has to do with magic and those sorts of powers. And we'll look at that in just a moment, but it also has to do with social status, with feeling like you're in the in-group or out of the in-group and whether or not the things that you do really matter or not, how you fit in and where you fit in and what the things that you do, what consequences they can have. So if we look at this character, Ged, he is from the very beginning of the book revealed as somebody who has power, who has potential, who has talent for this incredibly important thing of magic. And that's going to require not just learning a few spells or just using that raw talent, but channeling it, shaping it, understanding it, having it formed, learning how to interact with the rest of the world. And so Ged is revealed as somebody who has this power first when the ant, who's a, a witch, teaches him some of the names that he can use to get control over natural phenomena. And then when the Kargish people, barbarians from the further east, invade to try to take over uh, the island of Gaunt, and Ged carries out some magic that both saves his town and essentially breaks the Kargish advance and also exhausts him and brings him to the attention of Ogian, the mage who then begins teaching him. And that's really where our story of Ged's pride begins with his interactions with somebody who has genuine power. Dunny, which is Ged's first name, sat up looking about him and a little while he spoke, strength and hunger came back to him. They gave him a little to drink and eat and he lay back again watching the stranger with dark wondering eyes. The bronze Smith said to that stranger, you are no common man, nor will this boy be a common man, the other answered. The tale of his deed with the fog has come to Ray Albi, which is my home. I have come here to give him his name, if, as they say, he has not yet made his passage into manhood. The witch whispered to the smith, brother, this must surely be the mage of Ray Albi, Ogion the Silent, the one who turned the earthquake. And so, Get is already unusual, and now he's hearing that he has a destiny. He has something important. He's got this possibility, and he goes to study with Ogion. He's impatient about this. 
And Ged, you know, is not all that happy about waiting to learn things, to find things out. Le Guin uses this term impatience. And why? Because he wants to be able to do things. Then he winds up being provoked by others. And one of the first cases in which this takes place is where this girl is talking with him. She was a tall girl about his own age, very sallow, almost white-skinned. Her mother, they said in the village, was from Oskol or some, some other s- such foreign land. Ged thought her very ugly, but he had a desire to please her, to win her admiration that grew on him as they talked. This desire for admiration, right? She made him tell all the story of his tricks with the mist that had defeated the Kargish warriors. And she listened as if she wondered and admired, but she spoke no praise. And then she starts asking him, can you do this? Can you do that? Can you show me this? Can you do that? And eventually she says, are you afraid to do this kind of spell? Maybe you're too young. And as Le Guin narrates for us, that he would not endure. He did not say much, but resolved he would prove himself to her. And so he goes into the house and starts reading from a spell book that he's not supposed to be in. So he's transgressing and he brings something into being, a shadow by the door that Ogian has to dispel. And as we find out, this is a presentiment of the shadow that is going to come about because of his wizard's duel with Jasper. Now, what's actually going on? Well, one thing to think about here is that Ged himself is, like so many of us, in a position of inferiority. When he goes to Roke, he is somebody coming from Gaunt. I mean, who's ever heard of Gaunt? It's just like pirates and goat herders and people like that who live there. It's not you know, famous like some of the other islands that are seen as more refined, more civilized. And so, although he's extremely talented, he's the boy from the sticks, right? Not from the big city, not from the places that matter. And that allows him, because of this inferiority, not just in social status, but can felt on his own part and exploited by others, it allows him to be taunted or goaded into doing things that he really shouldn't. Another thing that we can say about pride in general is that there is an excessive centering on the self, the self in relation to others by comparison through status. It's not just a selfishness like greed is, or like even a certain sense lust is, right? Or you might even say wrath. Pride is always involved in wanting to raise oneself up above others, whether it be, it could be in terms of wealth, it could be in terms of property, it could be in terms of beauty, or handsomeness, it could be in terms of talent, it could be in terms of celebrity, it could be, we could go on and on and on. Interestingly, pride can even take the good things about us and transform them into bad behavior on our part. Looking for acknowledgement from others with whom one is in rivalry that you're just not going to get. A great example of this is looking to Jasper on the part of Ged for whatever it is that he's supposed to get from him, rather than simply looking to his friend Vetch, who has so much more, or the, the masters that he's supposed to be studying with there. And it leads to resentment. It leads to rivalry. It leads to anger. It leads to envy. And we see all of these terms coming up within the story, in particular with respect to the wizard's duel that is going to take place. So there's two passages I want to read here from um, the early parts of the book. 
In the corridor, he met Jasper, who, since Ged's accomplishments began to be praised about the school, spoke to him in a way that seemed more friendly but was more scoffing. You look gloomy, Sparrowhawk, he said now. Did your juggling charms go wrong? Seeking always to put himself on an equal footing with Jasper, Ged answered the question, ignoring its ironic tone. I'm sick of juggling, he said. Sick of these illusion tricks, fit only to amuse idle lords in their castles and dominions. The only true magic they've taught me yet on Roke is making wear light and some weather working. The rest is mere foolery. Even foolery is dangerous, said Jasper, in the hands of a fool. At that, Ged turned as if he'd been slapped and took a step towards Jasper, but the other boy smiled as if he'd not intended any insult, nodded his head in his stiff, graceful way, and went on, standing there with rage in his heart, looking after Jasper. Jed, uh, Ged swore to himself to outdo his rival, and not in some mere illusion match, but in a test of power. He would prove himself and humiliate Jasper. He would not let the fellow stand there looking down at him, graceful, disdainful, hateful. Standing there with rage in his heart looking after Jasper, Ged did not stop to think why Jasper might hate him. He only knew why he hated Jasper. Jasper stood alone as his rival who must be put to shame. So what do we see here, this, this dialectic? He feels that the other is humiliating him, not giving him what his pride deserves. He wants to impose that on his rival. He wants to humiliate him. And so he'll start this wizard battle. And this is what leads us to a catastrophe. So how does this take place? It's at a festival time and Jasper has, has become a sorcerer. And Ged says, what do sorcerers have that prentices lack? Jasper says, power. I'll match your power act for act. You challenge me? I challenge you. Vetch had dropped down on the ground and now he came between them grim of face. Duels and sorcerers are forbidden to us and you well know it. Let this cease. Both Ged and, and Jasper stood silent for they knew it was the law of, of Roke and they also knew Vetch was moved by love and themselves by hate but their anger was balked not cooled. Presently moving a little aside as if to be heard by Vetch alone Jasper spoke with his cool smile. I think you'd better remind your goat herd friend again of the law that protects him. He looks sulky. I wonder did he really think I'd accept a challenge from him? A fellow who smells of goats? Apprentice who doesn't know the first change? Jasper said Ged. What do you know of what I know? And so they engage in the battle and Ged says to Jasper, what would you like me to do, Jasper? The older lag shrugged. Summon up a spirit from the dead for all I care. And that is what Ged does, thereby letting the beast, the shadow, the thing from non-being, from non-life into the world that will then become so central to the rest of the book. And this is indeed a catastrophe. It brings about the death of the Ark Mage there on Roke. Jasper actually leaves without finishing his training, as we find out. And what happens? There is a humbling that takes place for Ged. Notice that I say humbling and not humiliation. Humiliation does take place. It has been taking place. Humbling is something quite different. It is learning your actual place, not the place that people are going to impose on you, but the place that you have to step into because it really is your place. It's becoming aware of things outside of the self as not just being about how they relate to yourself but having an importance of their own. And this is indeed what happens to Ged. A sign of this is the physical scarring on his face from the claws of the beast. Scarring that 
gives him a, a different appearance. He becomes quieter. He becomes more responsible. He also is confined to Roke. And there's a question whether he will stay on Roke his entire life or not. Why? Well, there's an entire discussion that takes place about whether he can leave or not. And eventually he decides to head out and he takes a place that's kind of low for him, as we'll look at in a moment. He also has to relearn. He has to regain his control over magic. There's damage that's been done to others. As I mentioned, the Archmage himself has to intervene and dies as a result of the, the process. This is a very important thing that Ged has to carry around with him. And he knows that others can be harmed because if this shadow, this thing that is hunting him, pursuing him, gets hold of him, it will hollow him out from the inside and use his powers to do great evil throughout the archipelago, throughout Earthsea itself. So there is now risk to the world because of his foolish actions that resulted from his following his pride and he bears significant responsibility. So what else goes along with this humbling? Taking upon himself tasks that actually fit his capacities, his powers, and his role. So here we come to why he ends up being involved with the dragons, as we're going to talk about. So there was little cause, perhaps, for pride in this first magistry of Ged's. Wizards trained on Roke went commonly to cities or castles to serve high lords who held them in high honor. The fishermen of Lotorning in the usual way of things would have had among them no more than a witch or a plain sorcerer to charm the fishing nets and sing over new boats and cure beasts and men of their ailments. But in late years, the old dragon of Pendor had spawned. And so they sent to Roke begging for a wizard to protect their folk, and the archmage had judged their fear well-founded. The Archmage says, there is no comfort in this place, no fame, no wealth, maybe no risk. Will you go? Ged says, I will go. And now notice what Le Guin says, not from obedience only. Since the night on Roknoll, his desire had turned as much against fame and display as it had once been set on them. Always now he doubted his strength and dreaded the trial of his power. Yet also the talk of dragons drew with him uh, with a great curiosity. The chance lay bright before him and he heartily answered, I will go. So this is a, a good turning point. What are some other tasks that he takes on? The greatest of the tasks is to face his shadow. He finds out that he cannot run away from it and he can't find adequate allies who will help out with it like the stone. Instead, he has to take it on. And here we get to the possibility of pride raising itself again towards the very end of the book as he's pursuing his shadow across different islands because the shadow has now taken on his own face and form. He runs into his old friend, Vetch. And Vetch has something very interesting to say as they're recalling what's been going on and what, what Ged has to do. So Vetch says, now lad, tell me if you can what things have come to you and gone from you since we last spoke two years ago and tell me what journey you're on since I see well you won't stay long with us this time. Ged told him and when he was done, Vetch sat pondering for a long while. Then he said, I'll go with you, Ged. No, I think I will. 
No, Estariel, this is no task or bane of yours. I began this evil course alone. I will finish it alone. I do not want any other to suffer from it. You least of all, you who tried to keep my hand from the evil act in the very beginning, Estariel. So Ged is saying, listen, this is my bane that I have to address. I don't want you, your island people, your family getting hurt by this. You were the person who's least liable to that because you tried to keep me from doing this stupid thing that put me in danger and put the whole world in danger as a result. Notice what his friend Vetch, Astariel is his true name, says right after that. Pride was ever your mind's master, his friend said smiling as if they talked about a matter of small concern to either. Now think, it is your quest assuredly, but if the quest fails, should there not be another there who might bear warning to the archipelago? For the shadow would be a fearful power then, and if you defeat the thing, should there not be another who will tell of it in the archipelago, that the deed may be known and sung? I know I can be of no use to you, yet I think I should go with you. So he's saying, don't be prideful about this very task that you're taking on because you got past your pride. Don't let pride come in once again. And, and Ged heeds him. Ged listens to him and they go off and confront it together, together as much as they can. And that is how the story comes to a close with a real integration of not only Ged and his own self, but him with his friend Vetch. So pride is a very important thematic in this, and it's going to show up over and over again in other characters in the Earthsea stories. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.